romanticizing rock stars is great when you're fucking 12. Mm -hmm. But when you get a little older, you realize that, you know, Mick Jagger probably has to go have his prostate checked too. And, uh, you know, and, and, and there is, there, there is a romance to it, but it's not a very fulfilling romance. And that ultimately, um, to avoid self-loathing, you have to understand that, that your potential, whoever you are right now is who you are always going to be, whether you like it or not. I'm Don Hall. And I'm David Himmel. And this is the Literate Apecast. The Literate Apecast uses bad words. If you don't like bad words, maybe send and listen to it. <laughs> wrote this week I did the self the self-loathing man avoids becoming the bad guy from every 80s movie what 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 was it Daniel LaRusso said to Allie Mills and the Karate Kid look I'm a jerk so am I forgiven and he was so pop music and pop movies made me this way but as discussed on several episodes of the Literate Ape cast I find myself siding less with Daniel-san and more with Johnny Lawrence. I'm going to continue one more paragraph. <laughs> I'm starting to think of self-loathing like braces doesn't look as cute the older you get. That's because as you get older, ideally anyway, you find your station, your purpose. You've pruned back the dead branches and settled nicely into the garden you've made for yourself, a job, a family, friends, hobbies, passions. You've been at this for half of your life. You designed all of this, and you don't hate it. Some of it you actually enjoy. So why... All the self-loathing. That's a great question. Um, well, you know, one of the I, things back and forth. <laughs> this is the thing is, I read that as I read that today. Um, as I read that, I realized, well, everything you describe is exactly the opposite of what I have. I mm -hmm. do not have a garden. I do not have a family. I have three friends, um, you know, I mean, I mean, I'm living in Wichita, Kansas, and I have no social life. And yet I have never for one day in my life uh, loathed myself. I've had other people loathe me, but I have never had that sense of self-loathing that you seem to be experiencing in your midlife. And I am curious why that is the case. Well, it's funny, as I was writing that paragraph, I was thinking about I was thinking about you and I was trying to find a way, like, should I put something, something in here that explicitly calls out or you have none of these things. But the thing is, you still have those things. You, you have a job. I do. I started it this week. Yes. And or last week as this recording goes. And you have family. I they're do. not, they're not the, I mean, when I was, Arguably, when I wrote, you know, the, the garden that I made for yourself, like you, you can't choose your family. So perhaps that's not speaking to you because this is like I, Katie and the boys, you know, that kind of shit. But you have you have friends, even if it's just three of them and you have hobbies and you have passions. So like. But I have I have no station. Um, I'm not sure if I have. But that's OK. Because I think your station. Your station the dead branches is, are always being pruned. And, and I keep putting myself in the gardens that are not mine to see if I can find a place in them. But I still don't have any self-loathing. I'm still happy with all this. In fact, I enjoy most of it. 
despite all of those uh, sort of chaos that I live in my life. And, and, and you know, I'm not going to say that, you know, my mistakes or bad things that have happened to me don't hurt, don't create scars. I have more scars, I'd argue, than many my age. However, um, I still enjoy my life, no matter, you know, regardless. Well, I don't, uh, I, I, I don't I think it. that this paragraph is saying, that th- this writing is saying that if you don't have a you don't own your own home and have a family and a wife and two, you know, the American dream bullshit. I, I'm not promoting that because that's not a thing. You don't need those things to be happy. No. What I'm trying to say here is that you've created the life. Like, Don, you have the, the life that you're living. I mean, like your life blew up and you're, you're starting over, but you're so good at starting over because you've that's I've what done you've it done. Before. You have done it many, by many choice. times. You have done it yep. uh, under duress. You have done it in every way that's many of the ways that are possible to have to start your life over. And so, and that's that's the life you've made for yourself. One that is a little more of a rolling stone, if not a complete rolling stone. It is a and complete rolling stone. I've written I've written about yeah. that in the ape. Is that I am I am the the quintessential definition. I'm a rolling stone that that, that still manages to take a shower and doesn't live in a van now there are people uh, but there are people that have what you have and people that have what i have and that's what they want and that's what they enjoy but they still aren't happy with themselves so tell me about that that's where this is coming from yeah well this is self-loathing because you because this is something you've been it's been on your mind and, I, you know, it's really not about the fact that I don't feel self-loathing, although I think that might have some, that may lend some perspective. But the fact is, you're the one that, you're, you're talking about loathing yourself or loathing life in general. Um, you also say I'm almost nihilistic when it comes to my to the self. My kids keep me from going too dark for managing to sustain some hope in the world that's increasingly less for me and more and more annoying so is this yeah. self-loathing making <laughs> you a curmudgeon doesn't that sentence sound a little juvenile it sounds a little you're all oh, yeah, phonies the, you know it's it does well, sound very the whole the whole piece the whole piece has the thing is it's very well written and you even call yourself out and that's one of the I, there's nothing i love most about this piece is you start the piece and it is some whiny <laughs> bullshit yeah. yeah it is like like and, and i'm reading and i'm like what fucking world do you live in that you have the right to whine about anything and then you call yourself out and call yourself Carrie Bradshaw and I went I did I just about shit I laughed and laughed and laughed I went that thank you for calling out what I was reading and didn't know how to I didn't know how to classify it and you classified it so Carrie Bradshaw I went god damn it yes yes that's exact so tell me about this yeah I mean what's going on you mentioned earlier that the self-loathing is um you know, as I'm, I'm in my midlife or approaching my midlife, whatever, I think the, the math is still being figured out as to where exactly I am in the midlife cycle. But this is not new. This is not a result of turning 40. It's not a result of having kids. The curmudgeon, I, I've been accused of being a curmudgeon since at least seventh grade. Oh yeah, I, I, well, I used to say I'm a curmudgeon. I've been a curm- I've been looking for my curmudgeon badge uh, ever since I turned into a crank. Yeah, and I was a yeah. crank way early. Yeah, yeah, you know. I've always been a bit of a crank, and I, I 
I, I think that the self, because you know, I opened the story with a line from Nick Hornby's novel, High Fidelity, uh, yeah. where, where the main character poses the question, are we miserable because of pop music or do, or do we listen to pop music because we're miserable? You know, it's a chicken or the egg thing. Like what, what yeah. makes us miserable? And that's my thing is like, I don't like, yeah, I've had, I, I've, I've taken some licks. I've had, I've been knocked down. I've been heartbroken. I've been really whacked out on a lot of shit. You know, bad things have happened, but really like, that's just, that's life. Like, yeah, the real perspective is, I mean, it's, I've had a, I've been really, really fortunate in a lot of really important ways, which is why, you know, the headline of the story is the privilege of understanding self-loathing. You know, I, I never, it, and you know, and I address it in the story, like, I, I wonder if it, it became a kind of, um, the self-deprecation as a, as a form of comedy became my go-to. It was just, I, I don't know why, um, you know, but I gravitated toward those kind of comedians and I just, I it was a natural instinct for me to go that way as a defense mechanism or a way to get people to like, you know, all the, the standard things of what, why people try to be funny, you know, n nothing new yeah. there. Um, and I listened to, you know, sad pop music. A lot of pop music is, I mean, even the happy songs are, you know, sad. I mean, Jesus Christ, listen to, uh, uh, the Smiths for God's sakes, you know, <laughs> but, you know, I also listen to a lot of, you know, sad, you know, early nineties, late eighties punk emo music. And that shit was heavy and depressing. And I think, you know, it, you, you bring up something that I have, I, I, and I don't mean to interrupt you, but I'm going to interrupt you. Um, uh -huh. you, you bring up something that I think is interesting that I have a suspicion about. Um, and I want to see what you think about this is the times when the world has been the most chaotic, like the worst mm. it can be. The movies and well, the pop popular culture is almost relentlessly upbeat. And the yeah. times when yeah. we live in the most when we I mean the eighties and the nineties, we were living in the the best of times, yeah. but the music was the most pathetic and 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 sad and angry and you know, right? And what I just want to read this, I I, I hate you know I just want to, because I it's interesting to it's, me. It's that, very interesting. Uh, I, I've got a I've got something to say about so, that too. Yeah. All right. Well, let me let me read this to you. This is yeah. uh, I caught this. It's from uh, Inside History, and this is a little longer than I want it to be, but I'm going to read it anyway because I think it makes it makes the point. For a small amount of perspective at this moment, imagine you were born in 1900, when you are 14. World War I starts and ends on your 18th birthday with 22 million people killed. Later in that same year, <laughs> a, Spanish, a Spanish flu epidemic hits the planet and runs until you are 20. 50 million people die from it in those two years. Now, when you're 29, the Great Depression begins. Unemployment hits 25%. Global, global GDP drops 27%. That runs until you're 33 years old. The country nearly collapses along the world economy. When you turn 39, World War II starts. 
When you're 41, the United States is fully pulled into World War II. Between your 39th and 45th birthday, 75 million people perish in the war, and the Holocaust kills 12 million. At 52, the Korean War starts, and 5 million perish. At 64, the Vietnam <laughs> War begins, and it doesn't end for many years. Four million people die in that conflict. Approaching your 62nd birthday, you have the Cuban Missile Crisis. Life on our planet as we know it could well have ended. And as you turn 75, the Vietnam War finally ends. Think of everyone on the planet born in 1900. How do you survive all of that? A kid in 1985 didn't think their 85-year-old grandparent understood how hard school was, yet those grandparents <laughs> and now great-grandparents survived through everything listed above. Yeah, it's... <laughs> That's I fucking mean, crazy. One of, my, one of my favorite quotes is uh, Oliver Wendell Holmes, uh, trouble gives us the capacity to handle it. Yeah. You know, the more shit they throw at you... Or, you know, yeah, whatever. Like, throw more shit at me. I'm used to it. Whatever. Big deal. Let's just, we got to keep rolling. What I noticed when I was in my 20s was when I was actually, like, really sad. Like, if I was going through a breakup or was, like, bumming out at school or wasn't sure what to do with my future. You know, whatever existential bullshit that you deal with when you're in your 20s. Um, I didn't want to listen to the to the sad pop songs. I needed, like, happy stuff. But when I was feeling really good about things, I devoured the sad pop shit. And I caught myself recognizing that one day driving around Vegas, you know, you know, I was living out there at the time. And I, I just thought, well, that's that's interesting. And I never really explored it any further. But I mean, you make a good point. Like I grew up in moderately peaceful times. I never had the risk of moderately getting... peaceful, incredibly peaceful. Well, times. I mean, there was plenty of war happening throughout the, the world. You know, not like, not like, not like before. I, I, I know. Mean, I, I was just gonna say, like, I, I mean, never, I never ran the risk of or the concern of um, having my number called and being drafted into a war or being drafted in the military nope. at all. Um, Nobody you know, was I mean, going like, after those those motherfuckers in Grenada. Yeah, that was a big war. Give me a break. I spent my first 10 years, you know, in the Cold War, but, you know, the, the threat of nuclear destruction never crossed my mind. Ever. I don't know how my parents lived well, with it. I should ask them well, that question. When were, when were you born? 79. So within, by the time, what, you were four years old, the Berlin Wall fell? By the time I was how old? I don't know. What, when did the Berlin Wall fall? I can't remember the year. 89? Was it 89? So you were 10 years old when the Berlin so I, Wall fell. Yeah, that's what I just said. Yeah, but 10 years old doesn't mean you lived... You you maybe lived three years conscious of the Cold War. That's what I'm saying. It's like I, I was there, but okay. I never once... Okay. Like, it never oh, crossed okay. my mind because I, I was a it. child. And then when I was aware yeah. of what the Cold War was, it wasn't the Cold it was War. Over. It was gone. Yeah. yeah, it didn't matter. Yeah, okay. okay. All right, I misunderstood. Yeah. Sorry. Um... So I, I wonder if I started to believe my own jokes, um, you know, but of course, like, I think that you're, you're one of the few unicorns and we've talked about this, you know, this is one of the things, maybe the thing that I admire most about you is your endless optimism and your complete lack of self-loathing. Not that you should have any, which you should, but 
you're just it's you're immune to it. And I think that everybody has a bit of self-loathing along the way. Like you fuck up and you kick yourself for a bit, you're hard on yourself, but then you you move on. And I I do that. I will fuck up and I will loathe myself for a bit, but then I'll get on with it. But still there's always been this kind of just loathing uh, this loathing but but it's also a a battle against it because i also know like you know i'm 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 not smart enough i'm not fast enough i'm i'm not going to be successful like i want to be i've missed opportunities i've squandered opportunities i've you know whatever these things are but also no i've done some really good shit and i've i've accomplished the things i've wanted to accomplish and i've i've got the girl that was out of my league which or whatever you know yeah um you know, I, I won the girl from the from the the brawny jock, you know, skinny little nerd. I mean, whatever the fuck it it's been, it's this this uh, duality thing, which you know I talk about in the piece. Like, is this just is this just astronomy? Is this me being a total Gemini right yeah. now? You know, I'm like I'm Maybe such so, yeah. a Gemini. I am such a Gemini, and I, I wonder if the self loathing has you know been kicking in a little more lately. Because Mercury's in retrograde? I don't know. I don't know. Oh, for fuck's sake. I think what it is, Don, is the reason that I'm, like, I'm writing about it now is because I'm, I'm trying to better understand where I've come from, what I've come through, and how to help Harry and eventually Jacob when Jacob starts becoming a a person and not just a happy little baby. All right. And, you know, and, and so you're ready I, for, you're ready for the Don Hall. That, yeah. Yeah. Give me for yes. the, Don the Don Hall, Hall, the Don Hall therapeutic. Yes. Yeah. The Don Hall therapeutic, uh, kick down. Yeah. The reason you're feeling the self-loathing right now at this moment is you grew up wanting to be Hunter S. Thompson. Huh. And you are now, Father's knows best. You have a job that is solid. You do not have the mobility that you would have had if you were Hunter S. Thompson. You have a beautiful, loving wife. You have two children. You have two dogs. You have a house. Your dream of being Hunter S. Thompson's long fucking gone. Now, in the romantic love of Hunter S. Thompson, it's easy to forget that he was a maniac, he was pretty fucking miserable, and he killed himself. Now, right, right. with that in mind, I mean, you know, keep that in mind. But you have you have this very, and I don't know if it's just you, if it's your generation, uh, yeah, I don't know, but you have this very romantic We're We're the same generation version. there, buddy, just on opposite ends. No, we're not. Yes, we all are. No, we're not. <laughs> yes, we all are. No, we're really not. We're oh really not millennial. Anyway, fuck. Um, it's it's not. Po- I'm not. 1979 is not the, millennial. You're the end. You're the end of the 20 year cycle. I'm the beginning of yes, the 20 year cycle. Yes, that's what I'm saying. That's you a are, generation. That's a generation the, right there. That's 20. We are not are the, the same generation. You are the mouth but, of Generation X. I am the anus. Well, then, then it's not the generation. It's just fucking you. Okay, it's not everybody <laughs> else. You're the only one that romanticizes. The Beat Generation, uh, and specifically Hunter S. Thompson, but you've hit that point where you realize the writer that you wanted to be, the artist that you wanted to be, the the man you were, the life you wanted to live is a thing of the past. And you're now reconciling the fact that 
in part of your mind, you might, you feel, you know, I don't think this is the case, but I think maybe you might feel like you failed to live up to that potential. And so now you're stuck in a place of mundanity and commonality. And what I think you're missing, and this is what I'm saying from my therapy perspective, mm -hmm. is that romanticizing rock stars is great when you're fucking 12. Mm -hmm. But when you get a little older, you realize that, you know, Mick Jagger probably has to go have his prostate checked too. And, uh, you know, and, and, and there is, there, there is a romance to it, but it's not a very fulfilling romance. And that ultimately, um, to avoid self-loathing, you have to understand that, that your potential, whoever you are right now is who you were always going to be, whether you like it or not. Yeah. I th you hit on some really, really right things, and then you had a few really, really wrong things. Let's talk about the right things sure. first. I, okay. think you're, I think you are spot on about the, I wanted to be Hunter Thompson, and I've become Father Knows Best. Yep. And yeah, I'm, I'm missing what, what I was and what I will now never be. But I also am perfectly fine here too. Uh, I got I to gotta deal with that. That's really something to think about. But you're, you're totally right. Is I gave up the, the gonzo journalism career that I wanted, the, you know, the, the jet-setting wackadoo writer that gets himself into all sorts of shit for the sake of the story. Um, I did it for a bit, and I gave it up for... Financial stability. St financial stability, and as much as I fought it, because my God, I fought getting into a relationship with Katie and getting, I just, you know, but ultimately I couldn't help it because it was apparently what I wanted. It's what the heart wanted. It's what my dick wanted. And I followed all, all the paths to domestication. And I, I make a lot of jokes. Like I've, I struggle with domestication. I do. And I do struggle with it because it's, I've got, there's still this pull not to go out and like blow up my family and, you know, bang half the city. Like it's not that it's the, it's the romance. It's, it's the romance it's, of, it's what it is. Hunter Thompson. Because, yeah, you're right. Hunter Thompson. The swashbuckler. Yeah. You want to be a pirate. You want to be, a, be pirate a pirate and Jesus you're a Don. fisherman instead. Yes. When I turned 40, I made a, I made a mixtape for myself. Um, <laughs> you and, are such a millennial. And Sorry. That, and, no, if I were a millennial, I'd have made a playlist. It was really a playlist. All right, that's right. Um, okay, there you go. I knew it. There you go. <laughs> but on the mixtape was Jimmy Buffett's A Pirate Looks at 40. Yeah. You know, and the lyrics, I mean, it's it's about a pirate who's he's like, I, I'm... I'm getting older and I'm never going to be what I wanted to be. And I've done a bunch of cool shit that got me really close to what I wanted to be. And I was that thing for a minute, but I was never the swashbuckling pirate with the knife sliding down the sail and swinging across and cannonballs and all that. You know, I was just running grass that, you know, like that's, yeah, yeah. that's it. Um, so yeah, you, you really hit it, the nail on the head there. There's the romantic, aspect of a, just a different kind of misery because yeah to your point thompson blew his brains well, that, out 
the thing about it is, and I, I, I wanted to say, and I'm kind of a pirate. I'm not even remotely a pirate because if you really want to know what a, a modern day pirate looks like, <laughs> um, he he shot somebody for drugs. Um, his girlfriend gets beaten to death and raped, and he goes to prison. That's what a real life pirate yeah. does. And I've not done those things, despite my, <laughs> despite my debauched and sordid history. Recently, I can say that no, I was never a pirate. I don't think I ever really wanted to be a pirate, but uh, I kind of wanted to be a pirate king in the way that Kevin Klein was. In uh, Pirates of Penzance, which is sure. not so much a violent, bloody pirate king, but one that could really carry a tune. I mean, I'd even settle for being a pirate in the way that Robin Williams was in Hook. Like, just, you know, Peter Pan. See, there like, you go. Yeah. <laughs> just kind of a I bloodless. Yeah, a bloodless pirate. But the thing is, most pirates and, and, and most of those romantic figures are miserable Really miserable people. They all got and, scurvy uh, and they're missing legs and eyeballs and their best friend is a and, parrot that shits on their shoulder and down their back. Come on. And the, and the writer you most idolized put a gun in his mouth and shot him and the writer I most idolized put a gun in his mouth and shot himself. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, well, and you know. That brings me to my next point, where, where the stuff that you got wrong. When talking about the okay. gener- a, a generation that... I don't know if it's a generation. That's the that, thing. I, that I, didn't I don't appreciate what... self-loathing. Because like, if we look, like, all, all kidding aside, Don, by the U.S. Census report and other entities, 1979 is part of Generation X. So let's just, for the sake of this discussion, you and I are of the same. Right. We're, both, we're both Xers. Weird. Weird. Again, How old are you? How old are you? You're the mouth. I'm the anus. I get it. Exactly how old are you? Exactly how old are you? Exactly. I'm 43 years, uh, eight, seven months. Nope. Yep. Seven months and I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. You're not 43. Are you 43? Yeah, I'm 43. All right. And in a month, I will be 57. Yeah. All right, I guess we're still in the same generation. That's yeah, within twenty Jesus years. Christ. All right, yeah. for this, for this, for this conversation, and only for this conversation. Next, oh, next eight cast. Next eight cast. We're gonna millennial. We're gonna have this but exact same conversation, conversation again. You are, you are a a you are an absolute baby Gen X. While yes. I am, I am. D- a, a I've literally been saying this aging. for years, just for, for this conversation because you're wrong. But for this conversation, I'm gonna go with it. Uh, you you've just been you've been given a concession. You can either write it, or we can just take it back. Fucking concessions. I'm yeah. yeah sorry, par, par, parlay pirate parlay. So if we look at our generation, <laughs> Generation X, this is okay. a generation. You know, to your earlier point, like they grew up in um, uh, good economical times in America. Um, Peacetime, yeah, but there was still the Cold War for a good chunk of Gen X's youth. Um, but it was, you know, it wasn't 1950s Cold War or Cuban Missile Crisis no. Cold War, you know. It was a, it was a great, it, they were the halcyon days, man. Yeah, Nobody yeah. tell, fuck off. They were the, the 80s and the 90s, but were, were, we were under Reagan, which wasn't great, but 
economically, we weren't that bad. Then Clinton came along and gave us the most, the biggest surplus of money ever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, gener- were, but John, no Generation X, wars. Generation Come X on. loved to to loathe themselves. Misery. Oh loved yeah, it. just a bunch of whiny. What a what a bunch of whiny cunts. Absolutely. I mean, there's a reason that Kurt Cobain. Did I just say Kirk? <laughs> you did say Kirk. Yes. <laughs> See, that's the difference. My Kirk there's, is James T. There's Your a reason. Kirk is Cobain. <laughs> there's a reason that Captain Kirk Cobain was given the, the moniker of the voice of his generation because he was a miserable, he was just a fucking malcontent, an absolute malcontent. And his contemporaries were the same. And, you know, the the kind of comedy that was coming out of that, that, um, like the grunge comedy was coming out at, at you know the late eighties and the early nineties. That was less the Jerry Seinfeldy, "What's the deal with?" and more of a "My life is hell. My mother's the worst. My dad is a drunk. Um, my sister killed herself. That was my the best birthday present she ever gave me." Type shit. I mean, that's 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 what it was. That's but funny though. But really but funny. funny. I mean, even like The Simpsons. You know, the Simpsons were, are in yeah. a way a kind of self-loathing. They took the Honeymooners and the Flintstones and said, nope, we're going to, you know, um, married with children, the same kind of thing. I mean, these are like, these are the big pop culture things in in Generation X, in the Gen, in the Gen X zeitgeist at that time. And it was all about how terrible people are. Well, I mean, to, yeah, to, to we were, that point, well, you know, Jer- Seinfeld, the TV show, was about how terrible people are. But Seinfeld's yeah, kind well, of stand-up. The is, thing about you know, it is Seinfeld, well, you know, and I think there's, I think there's a reality is, is you know, the Gen X, uh, you know, the, the sort of the, the archetype is the latchkey kid. Mm-hmm. You know, our parents, our parents said, you know, get the fuck out of the house and don't come home until the, you know, the, the streetlights come on. Well... It effectively, at least my experience was, that basically meant my entire upbringing was a slight variation of the Lord of the Flies. Yeah. And, and you know, so all hierarchies that I experienced didn't really involve lots of adults that I knew were going to protect me. Mostly it was hierarchies of bullies or nerds of... You know, I remember, it's like, I remember, it's the thing, today, if I'm, if I'm walking down the street and I see some kid, you know, uh, like jacking on somebody's car, I can say, hey, you fucker, stop doing that. But that kid's jacking on someone's car. Well, like, like, like taking a stick or a brick or, you know, poking, you know, like scratching a car, like fucking with somebody's car. Okay. If I see that happening, like somebody's like jerking off on someone's car. Like, what are you, where are you walking? (laughs) Well, okay. Even if he was jerking off on a car as an adult, I, you know, in, in my mind, I can say, Hey kid, don't do that shit. Yeah. Today that kid's gonna look at me, and probably three of his friends are gonna jump on me and beat me to death. No, when they'll just, I was they'll a just kid, shoot the TikTok again. It's it'll, it's oh, fine. There you go. When I was a kid, um, if if an adult came, they were gonna knock the dick out of me. I remember. Oh, yeah. I remember my yeah. buddies and I. We were throwing rocks at uh, a street just because we were throwing rocks, and we hit some guy's car, and that motherfucker he hit the brakes, screeched his car, got out of his car, came running after us. I mm-hmm. thought we were gonna die. Yeah, I thought I, we were going to die. I've been a part of that kind of shit before. Yep. Yeah. yeah adults you know, adults so, were to be feared. Like there was a, 
So so we saw the worst in humanity because we were the huge worst in humanity. Yeah, so of course totally. we grow up loathing. I that thing you self-loathe. I never loathed myself, but I loathe lots of others. Well, I maybe that's what it is too. Is because I do loathe lots of others, and I've I've, <laughs> I've I loathe a lot of things. Like I am sometimes insufferable insufferable in how much I loathe around the house. You know. Um, oh, I know. You've told me. Yeah. And listeners of the Ape Cast know <laughs> your loathing for your family, your dogs, your house. MSNBC. Every, Rachel yeah, Maddow. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just cable news and job. But yeah, it's. Sure. But I've, I've always had little things like that. I think, like, even as a kid, I was just kind of a, a grump, a crab. Um, but I was never, like, deeply unhappy. I. I, I had plenty of shit that went wrong, and I was put in therapy in, in sixth grade. I got into a fight with my dad. I took a swing at him when I was 11 years old. And my parents were like, yep, you're going to see somebody. <laughs> but I don't think that's anything that's, like, extraordinary and, like, this is a troubled child who really doesn't care for himself. Like, my journals aren't... Yeah, it's not... They don't, yeah, don't, not they like don't you... read like, like Kurt Cobain's do. Yeah, you didn't grow up to be the the trench coat mafia no, or or never. Jeffrey Dahmer, so you know you're fine. No, I mean, of course, I've had fantasies just, about killing a whole fucking <laughs> platoon of school well, kids, you know, dickheads. I've never, I can remember in third grade. I've never thought about. I've never had fantasy of killing school children, but I have had fantasies of killing people. Um, well, no, sure what I'm it. saying is like I remember a specific time when I was in third grade. I got. Oh, okay. I was being teased for being skinny. All the kids in the class were teasing me, and I came home bawling my eyes out. I'm in third grade, so I'm, what, uh, eight, nine? Yeah, so uh, third grade is like seven yeah, or eight, maybe, eight. something like that. Like eight, eight, eight or nine, yeah. Um, And I can remember being in my room. My, my mom was sitting on my bed, and I was sitting on my mom's lap, and she was holding me. And like rocking me and trying to, you know, console me. And I was doing the kind of crying, you know, where you can't catch your breath and yeah. you bite your tongue yep. and it hurts and makes you cry even more. And I remember saying to my mom, I wish I was fat so I could sit on them and kill them. <laughs> see, <laughs> which see again, I, I love that that's the story because I was a little heavy. In fact, I was, I was kind of a chubby kid and my reaction to being told that I was a fat kid, mom, mom told me this the other day and we laughed about it. For, my reaction to be to, being teased for being fat was I just looked at the kids and said, when the ice age comes, you're dying first. I'm saving up. Yeah. I mean, that I, was my reaction. I eventually learned, I think that's where, you know, where the comedy came in is like yeah. how to defend yourself. Okay. Well, if you're going to call me these things, if you're going to say these teasing things, well, I'm going to come back at you with, well, you know, uh, when the when the the apocalypse comes, you're the first one that the cannibals are going to eat because you got a whole lot of meat that looks good for or, the pickle. Or you know, or if you'd had or, or if you'd had your Nostradamus uh, predictions, you could say, ah, when COVID comes, fatty, you're dying first. Yeah, and I can I can outrun the hungry wolves and Chubbo. COVID. No, and COVID. Chubbo. I can I can outrun COVID. <laughs> I can outrun COVID and you can't, Lizzo. There you go. Come on. And now, Warsack of the News. All right. The, uh, these are, the, I think this is a funny list. 
this has been this has been a week of very funny news. Now we've had some things that I'm not even going to touch on, um, but these make me laugh, and I just want to hear your reactions. So our first headline: Pornhub users in Louisiana <laughs> now have to submit government ID to access the site. Like they're they have to have like ID. Driver's they have license? to be. Their driver's like government ID. They have a passport. I didn't, you know, I didn't really look into that. I just know that Louisiana just passed a law that says that Pornhub to be accessed and and Pornhub will be held liable. Basically, it's like a, it's like a no smoke, you know, kids can't smoke or kids can't drink booze. You have to check IDs. Pornhub is now in Louisiana. They have to check IDs for people to go on to Pornhub. I wonder if that'll affect the viewership and site visits, unique visitors. Um, I don't know if I would go. Well, it's if Louisiana, I to... so it'll definitely it'll definitely limit the I fucked my sister porn. <laughs> uh, good, more for me. I never had a sister, so it's safe that way. There you go. Number two. Madison, Wisconsin, indigenous arts leader and activist revealed as white. (laughs) See, I think that's a case of true self-loathing is (laughs) you hate being privileged so much that you're going to go ahead and not only get into the arts for fuck's sake, but be an indigenous person. In the arts, she like, was uh, wow. She, she she was she 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 was known as Nibiwaki Mickey, also also known as Kayla Claire. She was a founding member and co-owner of the Queer Indigenous Artists Collective Gage and budding leader of Madison's Indigenous Arts Community. And it turns out she's only indigenous in fucking Switzerland. <laughs> Did you say her name was Millie Wauquiez? I can't read it. It's okay. just a long, weird-ass... Uh, no, say, it that's, was not that, Millie Wauquiez. You're, you're living in Madison. That just sounds like a really lazy name to pick for that your would fake be identity. <laughs> no, no, she did not. <laughs> Number three. Donald Trump Jr. signs seven-figure podcast deal with Rumble. Hey, Rumble... If you're looking for idiots to pay a shitload of money to, <coughs> we're sitting right here, man. Don Hall and David Himmel are for hire. I, what? I, 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 I mean, it makes sense. There are a lot of people out there that want to hear that bonehead. Ah, fuck. I, he's. I mean, we're idiots, but he is fucking stupid and knows yeah. nothing. Yeah. And you know. We at least know our Gen X heroes, Captain Kirk Cobain. Yeah, I don't know. Number four. <laughs> that, joke, that joke didn't land. I'm not. I'm gonna beat myself up for nope. that one later. Debates on whether academic freedom includes images offensive to Muslims. I'm gonna read a little bit of it. Academic freedom versus the rights of Muslim students. An instructor at Hemline University showed an image of Muhammad in art history class. 
The president of the college criticized the instructor for doing so after a backlash from students. Another professor who tried to explain the situation with an essay in the student paper not only had his piece removed, but was fired. Mm. Um, so what do you think about this? It seems oh, I, uh, hold on. Hold on. I got to read you. The, I got to read you what the president said, because this, this is this is quality. It is not our intent to place blame. Rather, it is our intent to note that in the classroom incident where an image forbidden for Muslims to look upon was projected on a screen and left for many minutes, respect for the observant Muslim students in that classroom should have superseded academic freedom. This Academic freedom is very important, but does not have to come at the expense of care and decency towards others. How do you feel about this? I feel like his firing feels um, extreme, but this is also a complicated situation because it's pretty well known. And I think, especially in the circle that we're talking about in academia, that visual depictions of Muhammad are sacrilegious. And to do so feels to me like it's, a, it's just you're being a dick. It's a dick move. Interesting. Um, but if there's a cause, it's it, it's like if, if you walk into a classroom and your your professor shows on the screen a Nazi flag and you're, the Jewish kids are like, what the fuck? You know, but if there's a good reason to, are, what are we talking about? If there's a good reason for it, we're talking about symbolism. This we're talking about. This was art history. It was art history. It wasn't religious history. It wasn't political history. It was I mean, art history. Okay, that's, I mean, the well, art let me, of... Well, let me ask uh, Let me yeah. position it this way, because when I read this, my first thought was... Well, hang on. I just, I think, it, I think what you have to do with class, something like this, I think what you have to do with something a, like this is you need to just take a little more consideration and, and present it no, in a different way. I disagree. I, I disagree. And yeah. this is why I will say it, because you'd have a very different perspective as most people. Um, if I were to, if a professor of film class decided to show Monty Python's The Life of Brian <laughs> yeah. and five Christians were pissed off, nobody would give a fuck. Well, and yet, it, yeah. we're very, very conscious of showing Muhammad to the... Shut the fuck up. It's your religion. No, Keep it th at home. Those are two different things. Those are two very different things. No, they're things. not. They are. They're both sacrilegious. They're both sacrilegious. They're both offensive to that religion. No, I don't, I don't think that... Um, oh, because Muslims say it's really sacrilegious? Like it's extra special sacrilegious to show Muhammad, but it's not as sacrilegious to make fun of Jesus? I think it's... Yeah, I think that's exactly pretty right. Pretty much... Yeah, well, I think that's I think that's I think some bullshit. Mock, mocking, making a farce, uh, a spoof of a religion um, is different than taking something sacred in that religion. And uh, yeah, you know what I think. You know what I think. If you take your religion no, this seriously, stop reading books. Don't go to college. Well, you don't that's belong. true. I mean, yeah, like look, really, religious. The, the really religious people that get offended by that shit, like, yeah, I, fuck off. I don't eh, go away. You know, get over your shit, or or don't get over your shit, but go away because we're trying to have a discussion here about some larger things. Because in the film class, what they could do is say, "This is how we how you know this film is about taking a 
a religion and poking holes at it and poking fun at it and it's it's farcical and it's a satire and what is it you can say that but if you're a christian kid and you take this shit very very seriously and you think it's very very sacrilegious it doesn't matter that you explained it they explained in an essay that this was art history and this was a piece of art that didn't matter yeah i don't think that that should have been pulled and i don't think you should have been fired i agree number five since we're both Generation X, I'm sure you had the same crush as I did when you were a kid. Probably. On Olivia Hussey. No, I was I was caught up with, with Linda Carter. Yeah, okay. So you weren't old enough because you were just not old enough. Olivia Hussey played Juliet across from Leonard Whiting mm, mm-hmm. in Franco Zeffirelli's 1968 version of Romeo and Juliet. They are now in their 70s, and they have filed a lot. Zeffirelli's long dead. They have filed a lawsuit in Santa Monica Superior Court on Friday accusing, accusing Paramount of sexually exploiting them and distributing nude images of adolescent children. And it is true, Olivia Hussey, when she was filmed nude in that movie, was 15, Leonard Whiting was 16, and had, they had been promised that they would be wearing flesh-colored bodysuits, but Zeffirelli was completely in love with 15-year-old Olivia Hussey and said, uh, no, it's got to be, you got to be naked. Oh, man. I saw they that headline. They are seeking damages to be believed in excess of $500 million. Well, yeah, it compound, it's compounded interest over time, sure. Oh man. I uh I saw that headline and once my eyes got done rolling around the back of my head <laughs> I rolled right past it because my my thought was that and like I said I didn't read the story but my thought was this. I'm sure they I'm sure they're right. I'm sure they deserved money. I'm sure they were exploited. I don't care. I don't care. It's it's 1968. What was that? That was 54 years ago? I was two years old. So, how old are you? 55 years ago? Something like that? Yeah. Over half a century Yes, that's what I'm saying. I think that was your point. I'm old. Yeah. Well, not that you're old, that this shit happened over half a century ago. So, like, yeah, Yeah. I'm sure they got fucked over, and they deserved the shit, but I, like, uh, not something I want to waste my time broke. Yeah. They're trying to pay rent, and they thought, hey, this is an opportunity. Let me see if I can get $500 million I mean, look, dollars out of Paramount. Uh, what's, the statute limitation? what's the statute of limitations on it? I mean, was, there, was it anything I written in their contract? Yeah. I, yeah. I, nah. Number six, speaking of sex criminals, the César Awards, which are the French version of the Academy Awards, the Oscars, the Cesar Awards bans sex criminals from attending ceremony, but not from winning an award. So you have to accept your win f- via satellite? That is correct. <sighs> the, so they think that sex criminals are just going to like show up and just start criminalizing with their wieners and boobs and... Well, Butts out? here's like, an example. Wh- I, what? Here's an example. In November, Sofiane Benetzer, the lead actor in the award contender Le Amandier, 
was long list. I like to say French things. It was long listed for the best newcomer award. A few days later, two na- newspapers ran pieces reporting that Benefer had two <laughs> allegations of rape and another of violence against a partner. Benefer was removed from consideration for best newcomer shortly after. One of the articles published in Liberation <laughs> revealed that the allegations had been common industry knowledge for at least a year before production of La Mondiaz kicked off. <laughs> that thank you for allowing me to do that in bad. Oh no, Don! Any time, I French. I love the French accent. I think it's beautiful. And you just—I don't know yeah. how you make. I don't. I don't know how you made it more beautiful, but but you managed to. So thank you for that. I did. There are six things you should do this week. My first thing to do this week is a read in Slate. Headline, George Santos sitting alone. The wire photos of the incoming congressman's first day have all the drama of Renaissance paintings. This this was written by Christina Carterucci. (laughs) So this fucking guy who gets elected to Congress by lying the whole way and gets caught on it, shows up for Congress and shows up for his first day of work and nobody's talking to him. Nobody will be seen with him. <laughs> Nobody wants to be seen with him. And the photos are him just looking really pathetic and alone. <laughs> and it is wonderfully hilarious. Wonderful. There is um, one of the lines in here is, um, uh, oh, where'd it go? Shit, goddamn it. There it is. Okay, so he has mastered the social art of laboriously avoiding eye contact with those around him so as not to seem too eager for their attention. He was desperate to be included, it seems, but when the birthday party invites got handed out to everyone but him, he loudly proclaimed that he was busy that day anyway with really cool plans. It's just... It's such... Oh, it's just such a funny takedown of this fucking piece of shit. Good fun. Good fun light reading. There you go. I, I, I look forward to it. My first thing is I wanted to see this. Donnie Smith and I have been the I Like to Watch podcast. Plug, plug. Um, we do a thing called Trailer Geek where we surprise each other with movies we you know we want to see based on the trailers. At the end of the year, we go through and say, all right, what did we see? What did we not see? And one of them that I wanted to see but did not see, Stephen King mentioned um, that it was his favorite film, scary film, in 2022. So I went back and I watched it. It is The Black Phone. It stars Ethan Hawke. It is set in 1978. It is Mm. just one of the best, creepy, excellent, scary movies I've seen in a long time. Um, I put it right up up there with uh, Barbarian as being just... What I like about it is it's scary... But it's unique. It's such a it's such a very unique story. I have not seen this particular story done, and I think anything that surprises me in that way at this point uh, is is a marvel. Yeah. All right. My next thing is a read in the Atlantic, brought to you by Literate Apecast or whatever. Yes. Uh, so this is a little topical, kind of you know a, a day of hit, but. Uh, This is from January 4th. Kevin McCarthy's predicament is a warning. His detractors are here to play games with American power. This is, um, you know, I I don't know what's happening at the time that 
this podcast drops, but right now McCarthy has been through what six votes, six, uh, four, six, something like it. He's not going to get it. It's yeah. just not going to happen. But it's it's <laughs> talking about um, like part of the reason he's not going to get it is because these twenty currently the time of this recording twenty or so GOP uh, Congress people representatives don't really want to govern. They just want to prove a point of chaos. And it's what's great about this is it's this was written by um, David A. Graham, who's a great writer. Um, he's got an Atlantic uh, daily newsletter that comes out. But um, he, he calls these people rebels several times throughout the piece. He calls them rebels, like legit, yeah. like... The South succeeded, you know, succeeded. Sure. Kirk Cobain. I'm really into the hard K's and C's today, baby. Um, But like he's calling them rebels, which is it's funny, but it's also, yeah, they kind of are like they're trying to fuck with the democracy and trying to overthrow elect because all but two of those 20 are election deniers still remain election deniers. Yes, they do. Yep. So yeah, it's um, it's just an interesting quick read about like this is more than just oh they can't agree on something like no they're they don't want to agree on something. There you go. All right, that's good. I I'm, I, will, I will read that and I, oh, we're fucked up. Anyway, yeah. my my second thing is also read. It's in Politico of all things. Um, it is an opinion piece uh, by Laura Blumenfeld. It is called. Let's get American revenge. Subhead, for too long we've been consumed by our darkest impulses. It's time to rise above it. Now, one of my favorite phrases in it, she says, I met Mark Pashko Malatov, a retired, seriously, Malotaj, Taj, a retired farmer. Malotaj cocktail, like the cocktail, yeah. Exactly. A retired farmer and one of six Christian members of the local blood feud committee. What? I asked him. I know. I asked him, "How you does your blood canon revenge feud code community?" That's what I. That's what I. Committee. Yes, committee. Blood that's what feud I said. committee. Even stranger. Okay. That. Yeah. I asked him, "How does your canon revenge code fit in with turn the other cheek?" Which is a mm-hmm. Christian saying. And Mark laughed. In Albania, we have a saying: "Don't my don't hit my cheek because I'll kill you." <laughs> and it really is how Americans have 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 tried to for for. Years and just like revenge was just, it was it was fun to watch in movies, but it was really not something to uh, to enjoy because it was sort of uncivilized and bad. And now we can't even, you know, you can't even have some methed out chick not destroy your Walgreens <laughs> because you didn't help her. It's all about revenge, and 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 her whole point is let's uh, let's rise above that shit. It's a good article. All right. My last interview this week, also a read, not in The Atlantic, but in Literate Ape. Read this piece by David Himmel, The Privilege of Understanding Self-Loathing. <laughs> there you go. It's a good piece. We need the clicks, baby, so we can reading. get Rupert or Bumper or Romper to make us an Romp, offer. Uh, Romp nuts? Rumpus. I, Rumpus. No, I Rump, don't know. Krampus? Rumble. Rumble? Rabble. I don't know. My final thing is, a po- it's a listen of all things. It is a, a podcast. It's an eight-part series. Uh, Helen Lewis uh, from the BBC has done an eight-part series called The New Gurus. 
find it on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It is really interesting because she believes, and she says this in the beginning of the series, that she believes we are now living in an age of gurus that 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 people are so desperate for someone to tell them how to live their lives that oh, they're cropping yeah. up in all areas. And I mean, she covers, she covers pickup artists, sex gurus. She picks, she, it's like fucking doomsayers, cryptocurrency gurus. I mean, one of my favorite uh, episodes, I think it's the second episode is it's, it's productivity gurus. And so she goes and talks to like the, the nine most popular, uh, productivity gurus that have made millions of writing books and have YouTube channels with millions of followers and all this kind of stuff. And she realizes at the end of it that for her to be more productive, she has to do nine different things that are entirely opposing one another. It's like, you know, make a list, but don't make a list. Um, right. I mean, it's just very, it's very funny because she gets just contradicting advice from all of them and, is like, well, fuck off. Maybe I just need a personal guru. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, it's a really, it's a really good, it's a really good series. I enjoyed every single one of them, and uh, I highly recommend it. The new gurus, you can find it on Apple Podcasts, and that is six things, my friends. And that's the show. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. We loathe you. You can listen to the Literate Apecast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or any place you find your podcast, Jones. If you enjoy listening to Two White Guys Holding Court, review or share the show on your own platforms, or throw us a few bucks on Patreon. For more information about Literate Ape, go to literateape.com and check out the rest of our podcasts, all of our writing, and our events. Music on the Apecast is courtesy of Mike Vinopal and Local Motive. You can find them all over Chicago and online at locomotiveband.com. What the fuck?